This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Dub Craig on Moose FM. Welcome to the show. A little later on, we're going to be chatting with Fort St. John curling athlete Sterling Middleton, who will be playing for Team BC at the Tim Hortons Briar in London, Ontario in a month. Wow, how exciting must that be? So we'll be talking about that in about 15 minutes time. But first, the Commercial Vehicle Safety and Enforcement Branch recently issued 16 tickets to truckers who failed to chain up on the South Taylor Hill. And the comment section on our story across our various social media blew up, to say the least. To talk about the situation from a safety perspective and an instructing perspective, we're joined now by the president of the Improvement Institute, Chris Boomer. Chris, welcome to Moose Talks. Hey, Dub. Good to see you. Thank you so much for uh, taking a few minutes out of your day to chat with us today. Uh, So as I said, uh, this sparked quite the response on social media, everybody chiming in on what's happening and and whatnot. Uh, I thought we'd start with, in general, chaining up situations for truckers. Why is that so important that uh, truckers do that? And uh, and in the situation where they don't, that the CVSE is handing out tickets because they didn't. Yeah, it shuts down highways. Uh-huh. It's costly on many, many levels for people that couldn't go. The loads not go. There's a safety factor, um, people being injured, and as far as fatalities. It's, it's very costly. It's very dangerous. Um, you're not getting to where you need to go. I see. Yeah. So it, and it's really, um, and, and I mean, I drive a car, so I think I have an idea. But it's really about traction, right? The chains are instrumental for a truck with a load to to have traction on on hills of a a, a certain grade, correct? Yeah, exactly. And um, some of the problems on the trucks is that they didn't have chains, mm-hmm. or they didn't know how to use them, mm-hmm. or use them correctly. I see. So there's quite a extensive training we do. And there's, uh, like you use four-wheel drive in a pickup, mm-hmm. we've got axles that we can turn on and off at the rear that you have to set the truck up properly and use those chains properly. I see. Uh, so for non-truckers who maybe don't really understand exactly sort of what the situation here is, uh, for example, in the South Taylor Hill, which we're going to talk more about in a second, what is it about the hill that makes it a chain-up area? Is it the grade? Is it sort of a combination of things? And then... Is the chain up sort of universal everywhere you go in BC where it's always going to be chain up if the grade happens to be this? How does that work? Can, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that that's a very good question. What happens is they're not always going to be mandatory chain up. Mm-hmm. What you're going to see is a sign on our South Taylor Hill. There's a sign that tells you that it's mandatory. Yeah, uh, The overhead signs that they put over the highway now sometimes it'll be across that those digital display signs yeah it'll say mandatory chain up is in effect you can call drive bc you can look online you can see that overhead sign you can see the flashing sign before the chain up unfortunately the sign at the chain up at south taylor is really close to the corner and you've only got 175 meters to change lanes make the corner 
towards the campground and then get into the chain up. And I don't like the placement of the sign for somebody that doesn't know. Mm-hmm. I could be crossing the bridge, see it flashing. You could chain up because you feel you need that traction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to be automatic based on weather or conditions or anything like that. If the road maintenance is done really well and they've had the opportunity to get to that hill and then it didn't continue snowing for hours and hours before they got back, then you could actually go up the hill without chains mm-hmm. in the wintertime. Legally, no, there's, there's no issue. It's when you've had snow that hasn't stopped, big flakes, warm, fresh snow. Like my least favorite is it today. Mm-hmm. We're going to have plus two today. It's going to melt. You're going to make ice everywhere. It's going to freeze tonight. And then you put down a new fresh blanket of snow on that. Yeah. You've got warm tires because of the friction going down the road. You don't think about this, but your tires are warmer than zero. Yeah. Even though they've been sitting outside at minus 20. And so your warm tires is melting that snow and refreezing on the tread while it comes around sometimes, right? Wow. And so you've got wet ice on wet ice. And when you're in the laboratory in school and you go back to grade 11, sorry if this is traumatic for you, like it is for me, but... When we wanted zero friction in the lab, we used wet ice on wet ice. Mm-hmm. So not, that's sometimes what you end up with in those types of conditions. So the chain-ups are not always the same. Uh, sometimes it's like that has a little pull-out, nice area at South Taylor. Sometimes you're right next to the road mm-hmm. and you've got traffic. Some drivers have been injured doing their job correctly, getting out there to chain up, and somebody going past them in a blinding snowstorm didn't see them. Um, you know, cleaning your lights, cleaning your reflectors, being visible, wearing high-vis equipment, not sticking your legs out into the lane, mm-hmm. but using your chain-up area correctly. So they change, the conditions change. There's always, so it's not like we're, I know on Tuesday I'm running South Taylor Hill, I have to chain up. It's not like that in this case. There's places out in the bush where you know it's a mandatory chain-up. Yeah, no matter what's no, happening. No, if I'm going to Trutch, yeah. you know, death valley i know i'm chaining up because i always have to chain up to go to that part of road mm-hmm. chain up to go in chain up to come out i do it every day i see all right so there's lots of factors that kind of go into when lots of factors when it's required so i guess uh i was going to bring this up because uh, uh i someone else had mentioned the sign placement as sort of uh maybe an issue that would explain some of the drivers who don't have time to chain up as you said they just yeah. kind of blow back oh i have to um but that's only some of them because mm-hmm. obviously if you've been here for a while does i mean I, I guess my question is can you think of any other good reasons in your mind that people wouldn't have chained up when they were supposed to and then got caught by the CVSC for failing to do so. Good reasons, no. Yeah. <laughs> Real reasons. Um, 2018, they had a lot of highway closures. We had unprecedented snow. Yeah. And there was 41 highways in the province closed. And so what happened was they looked at chain up and making it clear, making it more understandable carry change from this date to this date we see those signs now gotcha. it came out of that right mm-hmm. they they realized government realized there was a problem there uh education so you've been driving for five years or 10 years and you've never had to chain up or you've never how do you come in and go hey improvement institute um you guys doing a chain up course this week can i come in and and i've had people call and it doesn't matter your experience or how long you've been doing it i'm learning things about chain up from different drivers 
even now. Mm-hmm. They'll say, oh, here's a little trick or here's something I do. This is the way I do it this way. This is why I do it that way. Um, it's still putting chains on the tires, but getting them tighter, getting them to not be as sloppy. Uh, maybe you damaged your chains uh, because they were on loose and you're using a bungee, which isn't going to do the best effective you know, there's methods involved, but mm-hmm. um, a solution for me is for people to come in and join us in the chain up exercise. And the second thing is, is I want to run an event where people can come down and compete in chain up. Oh, okay. Then others can watch, people can come participate, and somehow you get a big enough of a prize or do it during a time of year where people aren't very busy mm-hmm. and they can come down and demonstrate their chain up. Uh, we're going to have some videos on our site, we, on our Facebook, our Improvement Institute Facebook. I just posted a whole bunch of stuff with Chain Up since that thing with uh, CVSE mm-hmm. to help people see how it's done, realize you can get a $198 fine for not having chains. You can have almost $600 fine for not putting them on. That's what came out of this yeah. episode. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I thought I'd ask this too, because again, a lot of the comments we were seeing were, you know, um, sort of blaming and blaming each other, right? Mm-hmm. People saying, well, you know, you know, drivers are doing their best, yada, yada, and, and sort of a clash of things, right? Where we see this a lot in traffic related uh, stories that get posted where, you know, the comment section kind of turns into just a fist fight between yeah. some people, right? Um, in this case, if you're non. Uh, trucker and you're just driving in the roads in general you kind of alluded to this already what are you what should you be doing to drive defensively to maybe or or even not drive defensively but just drive smartly to make sure that when you're sharing the roads with truckers who are on the south taylor hill who are going up or down or whatever who are trying to put their chains on uh, as we talk about Mm -hmm. what should we be doing better what what can we all learn from this situation to make everything safer on a road, and especially uh, a piece of road that can be very unsafe uh, when there's weather conditions like the South Taylor Hill? Yeah, we need to share that road, right? That is a very important piece of road. First, before you left your driveway, if you can clean the snow off your vehicle mm-hmm. so you're not get up to highway speed and then you've got this big blanket of snow blinding people out, right. uh, it begins with that. Looking ahead, so as I go through Taylor and I'm going to go south, I can see across to the other side of the river and I can see that hill. Mm-hmm. And if you see a whole bunch of brake lights sitting on that hill, probably not a good day to go up there and get caught up in that. <laughs> Might be time for to go for lunch or something. Exactly. Yeah. Pull in, grab a coffee, go to ice, get ice cream or whatever you're yeah. going to do. You know, not a good time to go across. So when you're looking ahead and you're seeing what's happening, your vehicle is prepared, you've left enough time to get there safely. Don't calculate your time at 90 kilometers an hour to get to Dawson Creek because you did that in July. Mm -hmm. Leave extra time so you're not rushed. And then that truck that comes out of that chain up doesn't want to stop on that hill, doesn't want to lose momentum. Um, A lot of people will try to pass us in the last minute, be be the last three cars that don't want to be stuck behind the truck doing 60 kilometers an hour up the hill. So just... You see that truck coming out. You see that what he's doing. Save some fuel. Save some fuel economy. Save some wear and tear. Just stay back and go up that hill at 40, 50 kilometers an hour. Put on the radio or whatever you need to do. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Put on the radio. Just, yeah. Moose. <laughs> some really good programs Friday at 10 a.m. Yeah. And <laughs> in other times as well. 
but you just let that truck go and you know they're going to be going slow you're going to see their hazards hopefully they'll put on their left turn signal because their lane's ending just stay back they get to the top the grade goes from six percent five percent ten percent so on that corner drive shaft corner yeah um the steepest part there's a sign that says ten percent gear down at that point those trucks are going to be slowing down yeah and don't get racing up don't get bunched up and if there's a truck stop because he lost his shift he wasn't familiar with it his tires spun or whatever the other trucks need to get around him yeah so if the cars are bunching up around this whole thing and you've got two commercial trucks you're better to stay back and let all that unfold yeah my biggest defensive driving technique is lifting my right foot yeah and just coming off the fuel letting all that what i'm about to see happen happen you know, passing, getting in a hurry up that hill, bunching up, crowding everybody. Uh, you've got a tanker with two trailers. He's going to be going slow. Yeah. He's going to be less than school zone. That's a 90 kilometer an hour hill, 70 in some parts, but that person's going to be doing 20, 25 kilometers an hour. And if you're going to catch up to him pretty quickly, yeah. it just stay back. Let that hill be done. You know, just take your time on that hill once you get up top get past them there's two lanes closer to the brake check yeah and then there's other opportunities where you can see a long way to pass yeah. which i don't like to pass on a straight stretch if i don't have to because mm-hmm. you probably don't have any salt or sand on that straight stretch yeah they're probably only salt sanding the corners mm-hmm. and you'll see people in the ditch on a straight stretch and you're like why why you know why didn't you go around the corner extra fast and go launching into the rhubarb why was it on the straight stretch well there was no product yeah and they're trying to make up time or they're trying to go too fast and there's a sidewind or there's a you know how uneven our roads are Mm -hmm. a little whoop-de-doo in the road and it's going to push you off so yeah yeah. All right. Well, take a breath, I think, is the best <laughs> part, big part of that. So, uh, Chris, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to kind of break this down for us today. Thanks so much for being here. Happy to be here, Dub. Absolutely. That's Chris Boomer, the president of Improvement Institute here in Fort St. John. We'll be right back to talk to Sterling Middleton, who's going to be playing for Team BC at the Briar right after this on Moose Talks. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dub Craig. Now we're going to talk to a Fort St. Johner who is going to be playing for Team BC at the Tim Hortons Briar coming up at the beginning of March. I'm very excited to uh, welcome Sterling Middleton now to Moose Talk. Sterling, welcome. Hi, Dub. Yeah, thanks for having me this morning here. Thank you very much for taking some time to uh, chat with us about this. I know we've been uh, talking to your name a lot over the past few years in our sports uh, cast and whatnot because we're following your career very closely. You had a lot of success, but this uh, this has got to take the cake to be playing for Team BC at the Briar, eh? Yeah, for sure. We've... Um... We've been able to do lots of um, competing as juniors. We've had some success, obviously, with our past teams. But, um, yeah, the Briar is probably the biggest curling event you can play in, not in Canada even, but in, in the entire world. And um, definitely a goal of ours, something that we've been working for our entire curling career, something we've thought about as juniors. And, uh, yeah, to have the opportunity to do it now, it's, uh, it's pretty special for sure. How much of a would you say of a like of a grind did it take to kind of get where you're where you are now? I mean, 
I, I don't want to. I don't want to attribute anything to luck here because I don't necessarily. I don't believe in luck. I think it's kind of a, you know, something you work towards. So, is there something that happened with this team this year, or in the past few years that you just came together and it all worked, and you just worked harder than you ever have to kind of get here? What What, what do you think made this happen for you guys this year? Yeah. Um... This team in particular, it's our first year curling together as a team. Yeah. I've curled with everybody on the team at some point in time before, but never all together. Um, so at the start of the year here, as we were kind of planning out our season and whatnot, we've engineered our season to basically have our best chance to win the men's provincials, kind of not disregarding everything that happens before that, but... Mm-hmm. We had some early season struggles. Um, partway through the season, we had a couple really good events on our stride a little bit. And then the BC Men's Provincials was definitely where we came to play. And uh, that was the result that obviously we were training for, that we were looking for. I wouldn't necessarily say that there's any more or less training or practice from year to year. I'm the kind of person that'll be in the club every single day throwing rocks for an hour and a half by myself and Mm -hmm. making sure my delivery is in tune. But to have it all to come together with the team uh, in Chilliwack and BC Men's is something that we've been working towards the past. Well, the team was formed in April last year. So between the off-ice training, the weekly team calls, and then hitting the ice in August, it's been... uh, yeah, it's been a nine-month process trying to get to this point here. Amazing. Um, I wanted to go back a bit, too, just to talk about kind of the beginning for you. When when did you get into curling? When did you start to play it and, and realize that you had a lot of fun doing it? Yeah, so I started curling back in 2009. I joined the junior program at the Fort St. John Curling Club there. Um, at the time, it was kind of being looked over by Donna Sipe and mm-hmm. um, just some other local curlers there. And Sterling, if you and, don't mind me asking, so so about how old are you here when, when this happens? I would have been 9 or 10 years old. Okay, so you got yeah, started pretty early. Cool. Pre- pretty early, yeah. Um, I don't really come from a curling background at all. Um Curling is actually something that kind of my family and has gotten into as I've started curling more. My mom started curling a couple of years after me, just in like the local mixed leagues and whatnot. Um, yeah, it was just a sport that I took an interest to. My mom kind of signed me up for the program. Okay, this is pretty neat. And then shortly after the 2010 Olympics were on uh, in Vancouver there. So I watched all of that, just thought, wow, this is... Uh, really great sport i picked it up pretty naturally and uh, it's just something i've been pursuing ever since then and um i just love competing training and just having the ability to make that perfect shot when you really need to it's uh yeah it's great Mm -hmm. when uh who was kind of your curling hero was there somebody or, or a few people you you would watch and say man those guys got it down i'd i'd really like to play like them and 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 maybe be elite like them one day for sure, yeah. Um, I think at the time, for me, when I was just starting out, I, we were right in that era of the Kevin Martin team. Yeah. Um, obviously, Ben Hebert, Mark Kennedy, John Morris. Um, probably one of the best teams to have ever played the game. They were so dominant for so many years. 
Um, the Glenn Howard team as well, obviously, at that time, was kind of right in there with Martin, and um, they had some some good battles. Jeff Stoughton was curling a bit back then. Um, yeah, definitely the, the the Martin team was someone that I've aspired to, um, you know, maybe play one day or who I would like to be like when I was older. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had an opportunity to play against all those guys before. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been really cool being able to see them starting out and then competing against them now. So. Wow. And, and was there a time, Sterling, when maybe you realized that you had maybe some elite skills in this, that you were going to be moving on beyond just kind of playing in sort of fun bond spiels and, and kind of smaller competitions that it's like, we, I, I could be part of something great and maybe play in the prior one day. Did you ever have, did that realization happen for you at one point where you, you just, you knew you were destined for maybe something bigger? Um, yeah, I, I guess when, um, I would have been in grade, in grade 10, Mm I, um, was recruited by a team in the lower mainland, um, and we, it was our goal, we're trying to get to the Canada Winter Games, which is a fairly substantial, uh, multi-sport event, obviously, um, for, across the country there, and we qualified for those Canada Games, played really well, um, came away with a bronze medal, and then shortly after, I got a call from Curling Canada. I was selected to play on their Youth Olympic team, which was the following year. And um, that was kind of like a holy cow, like, I'm from, you know, like a smaller town in northern BC. I don't really have access to a lot of the resources that other curlers have. Mm -hmm. But the amount of time that I would spend in the club every morning before school, grade 9, 10, 11... It's really cool to see that other people notice that and maybe all the dedication, you know, was is kind of paying off at, at, at this point. But yeah, that was kind of like a holy smokes, this is this is real. Um, and yeah, ever since then, I've been just grinding, trying to get better. And yeah, it's uh, it's been a great pursuit the last few few years for sure. All right, we got about a minute left, so I'm going to try and jam in my last two questions here. The piece is well represented on this team because uh, Jason Ginter is from uh, Dawson Creek. How does that fe- make you feel to see that our region is making up half of uh, Team BC playing in the Briar? Fits really well. I've known Jay for years. He's definitely a passionate uh, Peace Region curler, just like myself. And, uh, yeah, he was always on the older team that would beat up on us every single weekend when I started <laughs> curling. So it's nice to see that come full circle and we get to play together now. Awesome. And then finally, I just have to ask you, I mean, we, we mentioned some of the greats that uh, inspired you. You're going to be playing against some uh, curling heavyweights in the briar. Do you find, does that make you nervous? Are you, are, do, do you feel like you've got a lot more butterflies than maybe uh, you've had before because this is, this is the national stage now and the biggest national stage for curling in this country. How how are you feeling about that? Are you feeling a lot of nerves? Uh, no nerves right now. I think we have all, this, all the skills, all, all, the, all the tools needed to compete at the Briar, not just, not just go to the Briar and show up, but to actually be contenders for the playoffs and the end, end of the week. Um, we've got experience playing 
all the teams that we'll see there, and we've had some success against some of them before. So, yeah, as long as we can do our thing, um, do what we did in Chilliwack at the BC Men's, find that little groove, and I think um, we could maybe surprise a couple people with uh, hopefully the the uh, performance that we have. So, ah. I can't wait. I can't wait to see you uh, competing in the Briar. How awesome. Sterling, thank you very much for taking a few uh, minutes to chat with us, and uh, good luck to you the rest of the way. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me this morning, and uh, yeah, it was nice to chat with you as well. Thank you. Absolutely. That's Sterling Middleton. He's going to be throwing, uh, or he is the third, I should say, on uh, Team Gauthier, which is playing for Team BC coming up at the Tim Hortons Briar. Our thanks again to Chris Boomer and Sterling Middleton for making time for us today. You can keep updated on everything local with the energeticcity.ca newsletter delivered to your inbox daily. News, sports, and local events that you won't want to miss ready for your reading pleasure at 7 a.m. You can sign up now at energeticcity.ca slash newsletters. That's the show for this week. Trey Lopashinsky and Jordan Prentice are the producers of Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.